be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Thank you to everyone who has joined me on the Stereo app. I hope you enjoyed the Sherlock Holmes readings earlier this week. If you haven't yet followed me on Stereo, you can download the app using the link in the episode notes. It's free, and takes two minutes to download and follow my profile. I host three exclusive live shows on the Stereo app each week, where you can request and listen to any readings live. And if you miss a live reading, the show is added to my stereo profile, available for anyone to listen to at any time. So, for exclusive live readings, bonus episodes, and more, download the stereo app for free and follow my profile to listen to my past shows and see when I'm scheduled to next go live. Again, all links are in the episode notes. Now, let's get into tonight's episode. I'll be reading Old Greek Stories The Quest of Medusa's Head by James Baldwin. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. There was a king of Argos who had but one child, and that child was a girl. If he had had a son, he would have trained him up to be a brave man and a great king, but he did not know what to do with his fair-haired daughter. When he saw her growing up to be tall and slender and wise, he would wonder if, after all, he would have to die sometime and leave his lands and his gold and his kingdom to her. So he sent to Delphi, and asked the Pythia about it. 
The Pythia told him that he would not only have to die sometime, but that the son of his daughter would cause his death. This frightened the king very much, and he tried to think of some plan by which he could keep the Pythia's word from coming true. At last he made up his mind that he would build a prison for his daughter and keep her in it all her life. So he called his workmen and had them dig a deep, round hole in the ground, and in this hole they built a house of brass which had but one room and no door at all, but only a small window at the top. When it was finished, the king put the maiden, whose name was Dana, into it, and with her put her nurse and her toys and her pretty dresses and everything that he thought she would need to make her happy. Now we shall see that the Pythia does not always tell the truth, he said. So Dana was kept shut up in the prison of brass. She had no one to talk to but her old nurse, and she never saw the land or the sea, but only the blue sky above the open window, and now and then a white cloud sailing across. Day after day she sat under the window, and wondered why her father kept her in that lonely place, and whether he would ever come and take her out. I do not know how many years passed by, but Dana grew fairer every day, and by and by she was no longer a child, but a tall and beautiful woman, and Jupiter amid the clouds, looked down and saw her and loved her. One day it seemed to her that the sky opened and a shower of gold fell through the window into the room, and when the blinding shower had ceased, a noble young man stood smiling before her. She did not know, nor do I, that it was mighty Jupiter who had thus come down in the rain, but she thought that he was a brave prince who had come from over the sea to take her out of her prison house. After that he came often, 
but always as a tall and handsome youth, and by and by they were married, with only the nurse at the wedding feast, and Dana was so happy that she was no longer lonesome, even when he was away. But one day when he climbed out through the narrow window, there was a great flash of light, and she never saw him again. Not long afterwards, a babe was born to Dana, a smiling boy whom she named Perseus. For four years she and the nurse kept him hidden, and not even the women who brought their food to the window knew about him. But one day the king chanced to be passing by and heard the child's prattle. When he learned the truth, he was very much alarmed, for he thought that now, in spite of all that he had done, the words of the Pythia might come true. The only sure way to save himself would be to put the child to death before he was old enough to do any harm. But when he had taken the little Perseus and his mother out of the prison and had seen how helpless the child was, he could not bear the thought of having him killed outright. For the king, although a great coward, was really a kind-hearted man, and did not like to see anything suffer pain. Yet something must be done. So he bade his servants make a wooden chest that was roomy and watertight and strong, and when it was done, he put Dana and the child into it, and had it taken far out to sea and left there to be tossed about by the waves. He thought that in this way he would rid himself of both daughter and grandson without seeing them die, for surely the chest would sink after a while, or else the winds would cause it to drift to some strange shore so far away that they could never come back to Argos again. All day and all night, and then another day, fair Dana and her child drifted over the sea. The waves rippled and played before and around the floating chest. The west wind whistled cheerily and the sea birds circled in the air above. 
and the child was not afraid, but dipped his hands in the curling waves, and laughed at the merry breeze and shouted back at the screaming birds. But on the second night, all was changed. A storm arose, the sky was black, the billows were mountain high, the winds roared fearfully. Yet through it all the child slept soundly in his mother's arms, and Dana sang over him this song. Sleep, sleep, dear child, and take your rest upon your troubled mother's breast, for you can lie without one fear of dreadful danger lurking near. Wrapped in soft robes and warmly sleeping, you do not hear your mother weeping, you do not see the mad waves leaping, nor heed the winds their visuals keeping. The stars are hid, the night is drear, the waves beat high, the storm is here, but you can sleep, my darling child, and know naught of the up wild. At last the morning of the third day came, and the chest was tossed up the sandy shore of a strange island, where there were green fields, and beyond them a little town. A man who had happened to be walking near the shore saw it and dragged it far up on the beach. Then he looked inside, and there he saw the beautiful lady and the little boy. He helped them out and led them just as they were to his own house, where he cared for them very kindly. And when Dana had told him her story, he bade her feel no more fear, for they might have a home with him as long as they should choose to stay, and he would be a true friend to them both. So Dana and her son stayed in the house of the kind man who saved them from the sea. Years passed by, and Perseus grew up to be a tall young man, handsome and brave and strong. The king of the island, when he saw Dana, was so pleased with her beauty that he wanted her to become his wife. But he was a dark, cruel man, and she did not like him at all. 
so she told him that she would not marry him. The king thought that Perseus was to blame for this, and that if he could find some excuse to send the young man on a far journey, he might force Dana to have him, whether she wished or not. One day he called all young men of his country together, and told them that he was soon to be wedded to the queen of a certain land beyond the sea. Would not each of them bring him a present to be given to her father? For in those times it was the rule that when any man was about to be married, he must offer costly gifts to the father of the bride. What kind of presents do you want? said the young men. Horses, he answered, for he knew that Perseus had no horses. Why don't you ask for something worth the having? said Perseus, for he was vexed at the way in which the king was treating him. Why don't you ask for Medusa's head, for example? Medusa's head it shall be, cried the king. These young men may give me horses, but you shall bring me Medusa's head. I will bring it, said Perseus, and he went away in anger, while his young friends laughed at him because of his foolish words. What was this Medusa's head which he had so rashly promised to bring? His mother had often told him about Medusa. Far, far away, on the very edge of the world, there lived three strange monsters, sisters, called Gorgons. They had the bodies and faces of women, but they had wings of gold and terrible claws of brass and hair that was full of living serpents. They were so awful to look upon that no man could bear the sight of them, but whoever saw their faces was turned to stone. Two of these monsters had charmed lives, and no weapon could ever do them harm, but the youngest, whose name was Medusa, might be killed, if indeed anybody could find her and give the fatal stroke. When Perseus went away from the king's palace, 
he began to feel sorry that he had spoken so rashly, for how should he ever make good his promise and do the king's bidding? He did not know which way to go to find the Gorgons, and he had no weapon with which to slay the terrible Medusa, but at any rate, he would never show his face to the king again, unless he could bring the head of terror with him. He went down to the shore and stood looking out over the sea towards Argos, his native land, and while he looked, the sun went down, and the moon arose and a soft wind came blowing from the west. Then, all at once, two persons, a man and a woman, stood before him. Both were tall and noble. The man looked like a prince, and there were wings on his cap and on his feet, and he carried a winged staff, around which two golden serpents were twinned. He asked Perseus what was the matter, and the young man told him how the king had treated him, and all about the rash words which he had spoken. Then the lady spoke to him very kindly, and he noticed that, although she was not beautiful, she had most wonderful grey eyes, and a stern but lovable face, and a queenly form. And she told him not to fear, but to go out boldly in quest of the Gorgons, for she would help him obtain the terrible head of Medusa. But I have no ship, and how shall I go? said Perseus. You shall don my winged slippers, said the strange prince and they will bear you over sea and land. Shall I go north, or south, or east, or west? asked Perseus. I will tell you, said the tall lady. You must go first to the three grey sisters who live beyond the frozen sea in the far, far north. They have a secret which nobody knows, and you must force them to tell it to you. Ask them where you shall find the three maidens who guard the golden apples of the west, and when they shall have told you, turn about and go straight thither. The maidens will give you three things, without 
which you can never obtain the terrible head, and they will show you how to wing your way across the western ocean to the edge of the world where lies the home of the Gorgons. Then the man took off his winged slippers and put them on the feet of Perseus, and the woman whispered to him to be off at once and to fear nothing but be bold and true. And Perseus knew that she was none other than Athena, the queen of the air, and that her companion was Mercury, the lord of the summer clouds. But before he could thank them for their kindness, they had vanished in the dusky twilight. Then he leapt into the air to try the magic slippers. Swifter than an eagle, Perseus flew up towards the sky. Then he turned, and the magic slippers bore him over the sea straight towards the north. On and on he went, and soon the sea was past and he came to a famous land, where there were cities and towns and many people, and then he flew over a range of snowy mountains, beyond which were mighty forests, and a vast plain where many rivers wandered, seeking for the sea and farther on was another range of mountains, and then there were frozen marshes and a wilderness of snow, and after all the sea again, but a sea of ice. On and on he winged his way, among toppling icebergs, and over frozen billows, and through air which the sun never warmed, and at last he came to the cavern where the three grey sisters dwelt. These three creatures were so old that they had forgotten their own age, and nobody could count the years which they had lived, the long hair which covered their heads had been grey since they were born, and they had amongst them only a single eye and a single tooth, which they passed back and forth from one to the other. Perseus heard them mumbling and crooning in their dreary home, and stood very still and listened. We know a secret which even the great folk who live on the mountain top can never learn, don't we, sisters? said one. Ha, 
Ha ha, that we do, that we do, chattered the others. Give me the tooth, sister, that I may feel young and handsome again, said the one nearest to Perseus. And give me the eye that I may look out and see what is going on in the busy world, said the sister who sat next to her. Ah, yes, 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 mumbled the third, as she took the tooth and the eye and reached them blindly towards the others. Then, quick as thought, Perseus leapt forward and snatched both of the precious things from her hand. Where is the tooth? Where is the eye? screamed the two, reaching out their long arms and groping here and there. Have you dropped them, sister? Have you lost them? Perseus laughed as he stood in the door of their cavern and saw their distress and terror. I have your tooth and your eye, he said, and you shall never touch them again until you tell me your secret. Where are the maidens who keep the golden apples of the western land. Which way shall I go to find them? You are young, and we are old, said the grey sisters. Pray, do not deal so cruelly with us. Pity us, and give us our eye. Then they wept and pleaded and coaxed and threatened, but Perseus stood a little way off and taunted them, and they moaned and mumbled and shrieked as they found that their words did not move him. Sisters, we must tell him, at last said one. Ah, yes, We must tell him, said the others. We must part with the secret to save our eye. And then they told him how he could go to reach the western land, and what road he should follow to find the maidens who kept the golden apples. When they had made everything plain to him, Perseus gave them back their eye and their tooth. Ha ha, they laughed. Now the golden days of youth have come again. And from that day to this, no man has ever seen the three grey sisters nor does anyone know what became of them. But the winds still whistle through their cheerless cave, 
and the cold waves murmur on the shore of the wintry sea, and the ice mountains topple and crash, and no sound of living creature is heard in all that desolate land. As for Perseus, he leapt again into the air, and the magic slippers bore him southward with the speed of the wind. Very soon he left the frozen sea behind him, and came to a sunny land, where there were green forests and flowery meadows, and hills and valleys, and at last a pleasant garden where all kinds of blossoms and fruit. He knew that this was the famous western land, for the Grey Sisters had told him what he should see there. So he alighted and walked among the trees until he came to the centre of the garden. There he saw the three maidens of the west dancing around a tree which was full of golden apples, and singing as they danced. For the wonderful tree with its precious fruit belonged to Juno, the queen of earth and sky. It had been given to her as a wedding gift, and it was the duty of the maidens to care for it, and see that no one touched the golden apples. Perseus stopped and listened to their song. We sing of the old, we sing of the new, our joys are many. Our sorrows are few, singing, dancing, all hearts entrancing. We wait to welcome the good and the true. The daylight is waning, the evening is here, the sun will soon set, the stars will appear, singing, dancing. All hearts entrancing, we wait for the dawn of a glad new year. The tree shall wither, the apples shall fall, sorrow shall come, and death shall call. Alarming, grieving, all hearts deceiving, but hope shall abide to comfort us all. Soon the tale shall be told, the song shall be sung, the bow shall be broken, the harp unstrung. Alarming, grieving, all hearts deceiving, till every joy to the winds shall be flung. But a new tree shall spring from the roots of the old, 
and many a blossom its leaves shall unfold, cheering, gladdening, with joy maddening, for its boughs shall be laden with apples of gold. Then Perseus went forward and spoke to the maidens. They stopped singing, and stood still as if in alarm. But when they saw the magic slippers on his feet, they ran to him, and welcomed him to the western land and to their garden. We knew that you were coming, they said, for the winds told us, but why do you come? Perseus told them of all that had happened to him since he was a child, and of his quest of Medusa's head, and he said that he had come to ask them to give him three things to help him in his fight with the Gorgons. The maidens answered that they would give him not three things, but four. Then one of them gave him a sharp sword, which was crooked like a sickle, and which she fastened to the belt at his waist, and another gave him a shield, which was brighter than any looking glass you ever saw, and the third gave him a magic pouch, which she hung by a long strap over his shoulder. There are three things which you must have in order to obtain Medusa's head, and now here is a fourth, for without it your quest must be in vain. And they gave him a magic cap, the cap of darkness, and when they had put it on his head, there was no creature on earth or in the sky, no, not even the maidens themselves that could see him. When at last he was arrayed to their liking, they told him where he would find the Gorgons, and what he should do to obtain the terrible head and escape alive. Then they kissed him and wished him good luck, and bade him hasten to do the dangerous deed. And Perseus donned the cap of darkness, and sped away and away towards the farthermost edge of the earth, and the three maidens went back to their tree to sing and dance, and to guard the golden apples until the old world should become young again. With the sharp sword at his side and the bright shield upon his arm, Perseus flew bravely onward in search of the dreadful Gorgons, but he had the cap of darkness upon his head, 
and you could no more have seen him than you can see the wind. He flew so swiftly that it was not long until he had crossed the mighty ocean which encircled the earth, and had come to the sunless land which lies beyond, and then he knew, from what the maidens had told him, that the lair of the Gorgons could not be far away. He heard a sound as of someone breathing heavily, and he looked around sharply to see where it came from. Among the foul weeds which grew close to the bank of a muddy river, there was something which glittered in the pale light. He flew a little nearer, but he did not dare to look straight forward, lest he should all at once meet the gaze of a gorgon, and be changed into stone. So he turned around, and held the shining shield before him in such a way that by looking into it, he could see objects behind him as in a mirror. Ah, what a dreadful sight it was. Half hidden among the weeds lay the three monsters, fast asleep, with their golden wings folded about them. Their brazen claws were stretched out as though ready to seize their prey, and their shoulders were covered with sleeping snakes. The two largest of the gorgons lay with their heads tucked under their wings, as birds hide their heads when they go to sleep. But the third, who lay between them, slept with her face turned upwards to the sky, and Perseus knew that she was Medusa. Very stealthily he went nearer and nearer, always with his back towards the monsters, and always looking into his bright shield to see where to go. Then he drew his sharp sword and, dashing quickly downwards, struck a back blow, so sure, so swift, that the head of Medusa was cut from her shoulders and the black blood gushed like a river from her neck. Quick as thought he thrust the terrible head into his magic pouch and leapt again into the air and flew away with the speed of the wind. Then the two older gorgons awoke and rose with dreadful screams and spread their great wings and dashed after him. They could not see him for the cap of darkness hit him from even their eyes, but they scented the blood of the head which he carried in the pouch, 
and like hounds in the chase, they followed him, sniffing the air. And as he flew through the clouds, he could hear their dreadful cries, and the clatter of their golden wings, and the snapping of their horrible jaws. But the magic slippers were faster than any wings, and in a little while, the monsters were left far behind, and their cries were heard no more and Perseus flew alone. Perseus soon crossed the ocean and came again to the land of the west. Far below him he could see the three maidens dancing around the golden tree, but he did not stop, for now that he had the head of Medusa safe in the pouch, at his side, he must hasten home. Straight east he flew over the great sea, and after a time he came to a country where there were palm trees and pyramids and a great river flowing from the south. Here, as he looked down, a strange sight met his eyes. He saw a beautiful girl chained to a rock by the seashore, and far away a huge sea beast swimming towards her to devour her. Quick as thought, he flew down and spoke to her, but as she could not see him, for the cap of darkness which he wore, his voice only frightened her. Then Perseus took off his cap and stood upon the rock, and when the girl saw him with his long hair and wonderful eyes and laughing face, she thought him the handsomest young man in the world. Oh, save me, save me, she cried as she reached out her arms towards him. Perseus drew his sharp sword and cut the chains which held her, and then lifted her high up upon the rock, but by this time the sea monster was close at hand lashing the water with his tail, and opening his wide jaws as though he would swallow not only Perseus and the young girl, but even the rock on which they were standing. He was a terrible fellow, and yet not half so terrible as the Gorgon, As he came roaring towards the shore, Perseus lifted the head of Medusa from his pouch and held it up, and when the beast saw the dreadful face, he stopped short and was turned into stone. And men say that the stone beast may be seen in that self-same spot 
to this day. Then Perseus slipped the Gorgon's head back into the pouch and hastened to speak with the young girl whom he had saved. She told him that her name was Andromeda and that she was the daughter of the king of that land. She said that her mother, the queen, was very beautiful and very proud of her beauty, and every day she went down to the seashore to look at her face, as it was pictured in the quiet water, and she had boasted that not even the nymphs who lived in the sea were as handsome as she. When the sea nymphs heard about this, they were very angry and asked the great Neptune, the king of the sea, to punish the queen for her pride. So Neptune sent a sea monster to crush the king's ship, and kill the cattle along the shore, and break down all the fishermen's huts. The people were so much distressed that they sent at last to ask the Pythia what they should do, and the Pythia said that there was only one way to save the land from destruction, that they must give the king's daughter, Andromeda, to the monster to be devoured. The king and the queen loved their daughter very dearly, for she was their only child, and for a long time they refused to do as the Pythia had told them. But day after day, the monster laid waste to the land, and threatened to destroy not only the farms, but the towns, and so they were forced in the end to give up Andromeda to save their country. This, then, was why she had been chained to the rock by the shore, and left there to perish in the jaws of the beast. While Perseus was yet talking with Andromeda, the king and the queen and a great company of people came down the shore, weeping and tearing their hair, for they were sure that by this time the monster had devoured its prey. But when they saw her alive and well, and learned that she had been saved by the handsome young man who stood beside her, they could hardly hold themselves for joy, and Perseus was so delighted with Andromeda's beauty that he almost forgot his quest which was not yet finished. And when the king asked him what he should give him as reward for saving Andromeda's life, he said, Give her to me for my wife. This pleased the king very much, and so, on the seventh day, 
Perseus and Andromeda were married, and there was a great feast in the king's palace, and everybody was merry and glad, and the two young people lived happily for some time in the land of palms and pyramids, and from the sea to the mountains, nothing was talked about but the courage of Perseus and the beauty of Andromeda. But Perseus had not forgotten his mother, and so, one fine summer day, he and Andromeda sailed in a beautiful ship to his own home, for the magic slippers could not carry both him and his bride through the air. The ship came to land at the very spot where the wooden chest had been cast so many years before, and Perseus and his bride walked through the fields towards the town. Now the wicked king of that land had never ceased trying to persuade Dana to become his wife, but she would not listen to him, and the more he pleaded and threatened, the more she disliked him. At last when he found that she could not be made to have him, he declared that he would kill her, and on this very morning he had started out, sword in hand, to take her life. So, as Perseus and Andromeda came into the town, whom should they meet but his mother fleeing to the altar of Jupiter, and the king following after, intent on killing her? Dana was so frightened that she did not see Perseus, but ran right on towards the only place of safety, for it was a law of that land that not even the king should be allowed to harm anyone who took refuge on the altar of Jupiter. When Perseus saw the king rushing like a madman after his mother, he threw himself before him and bade him stop. But the king struck at him furiously with his sword. Perseus caught the blow on his shield, and at the same moment took the head of Medusa from his magic pouch. I promised to bring you a present, and here it is, he cried. The king saw it and was turned into stone, just as he stood, with his sword uplifted and that terrible look of anger and passion in his face. The people of the island were glad when they learned what had happened, for no one loved the wicked king. They were glad, too, because Perseus had come home again, 
and had brought with him his beautiful wife, Andromeda. So, after they had talked the matter over among themselves, they went to him and asked him to be their king. But he thanked them, and said that he would rule over them for one day only, and that then he would give the kingdom to another, so that he might take his mother back to her home and her kindred in distant Argos. On the morrow, therefore, he gave the kingdom to the kind man who had saved his mother and himself from the sea, and then he went on board his ship with Andromeda and Dana, and sailed away across the sea towards Argos. When Dana's old father, the king of Argos, heard that a strange ship was coming over the sea with his daughter and her son on board, he was in great distress, for he remembered what the Pyther had foretold about his death. So, without waiting to see the vessel, he left his palace in great haste and fled out of the country. My daughter's son cannot kill me if I will keep out of his way, he said. But Perseus had no wish to harm him, and he was very sad when he learned that his poor grandfather had gone away in fear and without telling anyone where he was going. The people of Argos welcomed Dana to her old home, and they were very proud of her handsome son, and begged that he would stay in their city, so that he might sometime become their king. It happened soon afterwards that the king of a certain country, not far away, was holding games and giving prizes to the best runners and leapers and quick throwers, and Perseus went thither to try his strength with the other young men of the land for if he should be able to gain a prize, his name would become known all over the world. No one in that country knew who he was, but all wondered at his noble stature and his strength and skill, and it was easy enough for him to win all the prizes. One day, as he was showing what he could do, he threw a heavy quoit a great deal farther than any had been thrown before. It fell in the crowd of lookers-on, and struck a stranger who was standing there. The stranger threw up his hands and sank upon the ground. And when Perseus ran to help him, 
he saw that he was dead. Now this man was none other than Dana's father, the old king of Argos. He had fled from his kingdom to save his life, and in doing so, had only met his death. Perseus was overcome with grief, and tried in every way to pay honour to the memory of the unhappy king. The kingdom of Argos was now rightfully his own, but he could not bear to take it after having killed his grandfather, so he was glad to exchange it with another king who ruled over two rich cities not far away called Mycenae and Tyrins, and he and Andromeda lived happily in Mycenae for many years. Don't miss out on the exclusive Send Me to Sleep live readings and bonus episodes over on the free Stereo app. Stereo is the app for live shows, which is why I'd love all Send Me To Sleep listeners to join me to wind down and relax to live sleepy readings. Download Stereo now and join me live this week where I'll be reading a highly requested sleep story. You can find all links in the episode notes. See you there.